This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, the founder of Innovative CX Solutions, a past chairperson of the CXPA, and a practitioner with many years of transforming global operations and designing better customer experiences. Together with our guests and listeners, we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations. Hello, and welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, and glad to have you back for another episode. I'm really excited to have Dan Conifract with me today because I discovered him through the course of doing a research on my blog article about the importance of linking customer experience and corporate social responsibilities together. And that's how I first came across Dan, but as you'll soon find out, Dan is uh, an author and a poet and really has some great insights that go well beyond uh, social responsibility as as important as that subject is. So uh, welcome, Dan, and please introduce yourself to our listening audience. Uh, Bob, that was kind. Thank you for the invite, first of all. Um, And hello, everyone, Dan Pontifrac. I'm based in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. So you've got a knuckle head on your hands for the next uh, half hour or so. Um, Best way to describe me is I'm trying to be the opposite of my last name, Bob. Um, My last name in Latin actually means broken bridge. So ponte is bridge, or in French, it's also le pont. And then frac, like when you break your arm, it's called a fracture. So ponte frac is broken bridge. So why am I trying to be the opposite of my last name? I'm trying to build bridges. So I believe in a few adages uh, over my career. One is uh, full potential is possible. Uh, another is my purpose statement. And I think we might talk a little bit about the relationship of purpose uh, to, the, to the CX community. Um, and that is, we're not here to see through each other. We're here to see each other through. And so those adages have kind of uh, defined me uh, over the years. And those years uh, are coming up to 50 this year. I turned the big 5-0, which means I'm getting old, which means I've got about 25 years of doing stuff. So you know, what did I do? Well, I married a French babe and that is important to me because uh, I'm, if you take a look at my photos, I'm ugly. So we have three, uh, three goats as we call them. We're raising three kids. They're now 18, 16 and 14 and had a great life. We celebrated our 25th anniversary last year. And from a career perspective, obviously secondarily because family comes first. yeah, I've kind of considered myself uh, a, not just a, a, an autodidact and a kind of a lifelong learner, but I suppose uh, someone who's always looking out for the little guy. And so in my career in higher education, in high tech and telecom, you know, the titles don't really matter if it, if it helps. I've been a chief envisioner, a chief learning officer. I've been in the executive table for many, many years. Uh, what helps and matters, I suppose, is how I view the organization and its responsibility to each other, uh, the customer, which I hope we get into, uh, and community. And when I say community, I mean, you know, the planet, I mean, your neighbor, 
I mean the environment, I mean how we treat one another outside of the employee-client relationship. And so, you know, working on leadership models, working on culture, working on organizational change, uh, working on learning, all that good stuff has, I suppose, provided me with such a template of experience uh, and learning myself that I continue to sort of write about it in books. I speak about it in keynotes. I'm doing now consulting and facilitating workshops. So I'm just having, I'm having my best life, Bob. Uh, you know, teenagers aside from eating the house out, uh, it's fun. <laughs> uh, I can relate uh, to that. Uh, I had a, a colleague friend of mine with four teenage boys at one point, and he said, it was just easier to remove the refrigerator doors because they were open all the time anyhow. So it just made <laughs> access to food point. that much easier. So um, <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's a great summary of your background. And um, to, our, to our audience, we'll explore uh, a number of these uh, different aspects that you brought up. So Dan, we, we connected because um, I, I have a passion for customer experience, but also uh, believe in the importance of social responsibility and within organizations and, and teach it academically to students uh, at the University of Minnesota and Rutgers University, but also um, write about it. And I came across uh, your article that was entitled Stop Confusing CSR with Purpose. So maybe that's a good place to start perhaps uh, provide our audience with some reflections on that article and, and where your thought process is at this point. Yeah, fantastic. I'm glad that the old Google search works as well. So fantastic. It did, um, it did well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, what you see in organizations, and again, I've worked in you know, multi-billion dollar uh, global companies like SAP and TELUS. So Again, I, I sort of see this and I've seen it working as a, an adjunct or a consultant to these as well, to someone like that, sorry. And that is, you know, there's an annual uh, you know, corporate social responsibility report that gets issued. And that CSR, uh, albeit for the most part with good intentions is, is, is outlining what the organization has done over the past year that are you know, kind of sustainability related. And, and again, it's important, we need to be doing that. It's critical. Um, if you don't have a CSR report, I, I would be judging you quite differently because then you're <laughs> really at the bottom of the barrel. But you know, what, what I guess I'm purporting and arguing is that um, you know, CSR, uh, is, is part of your organization's purpose. It's not your purpose. It's not the purpose. Mm -hmm. And again, as important as sustainability and CSR is, you know, I, I'm kind of of the mindset that when you, uh, as an organization, define and enact what your purpose is, your organizational purpose, uh, your, your, your employees and clearly your clients then view you uh, with, with a higher regard because you're doing something more than just CSR. Now, how I basically describe that is what I call the good deeds. So if an organization has defined its good deeds and enacts those, then CSR is part of it. So what are the deeds? It's actually an acronym. So DEED stands for the following, delight your customers. So what are you doing each and every day uh, to win their hearts and minds? 
that's why you exist. So that's the first D, if you will, delight your customers. The second is you don't have customers unless you have team members who are engaged and know why they exist in the organization. And whether you're you know, a, a CX role, whether you're an executive assistant, whether you're in the C-suite, everyone has to have role purpose. And so if you engage your team members and set them up in a way such that they flourish and they're empowered and you're not micromanaging, you're not a dictatorial hierarchical nut bar leader, you know, you're gonna have flourishing, highly engaged employees who then guess what, Bob, they delight the customers back to the point one. So that's the D and the E. The second E of deeds is ethical. This is where, you know, you are making ethical decisions, CSR based decisions, uh, you're ethical basically in cahoots with nature. So that's the ethical part in society. Uh, the second D of deeds is delivering fair practices. So, you know, that's EDI, uh, employee uh, equity, diversity and inclusion, sorry for those that don't know the acronym. It is, you know, offering fair practices of pay inside the organization. You know, at the time of this recording, Bob, you and I are a day after uh, equal pay day, which is good in a sense that we made it to March 24th, but we got to get to January 1st to have equal pay for men and women in the organization, not March 24th. Mm. Anyway, that's the D. That's, and then the last one is serve all stakeholders. So as the organization defines who it serves, it's not just the customer, as much as I know we're going to talk a lot about customer and the relationship of purpose and culture, et cetera, to uh, that, that customer. But you actually, as an organization in the deeds model are serving all stakeholders by looking at your team members, you're looking at the community, the environment, how are you positively affecting customers in this whole uh, realm? So long way of saying, uh, good for you if you're an organization that puts out a CSR report and actually is doing good in community and the environment. But the bigger framework to look at is, well, if I'm gonna actually do good, I better have a deeds or good deeds model so that employees, customers, everybody understands where you're aligned and what you stand for. There you go. I, I love uh, when we do these podcasts and you drop a significant nugget like that, Dan, with our audience, because um, as we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, we, we weren't really uh, talking about customer experience, but in your deeds model, in fact, the customer is at the center of what you've been talking about. And that's why I think it's so fantastic when we invite guests that aren't necessarily considered customer experience professionals, but have the kind of experience and uh, perceptions that you have to, to drive towards this kind of a model. It's just really, really impactful. Very, very kind. I, I lost an argument twice which I'm still sad about, uh, which was I, I really tried to change the term CSR to customer social responsibility. Mm. It can be a two-headed two beast there where you're actually pushing the customer to have a social responsibility when they're using your product, when they, they know they're in you know, a, a social contract, if you will, with you, the company, or you, the organization. But similarly, I believe the employee and the executives, et cetera, uh, can have a customer social responsibility. And that is, you know, you, as Peter Drucker has always said, right? You know, there's only one thing and that is the customer. Mm -hmm. And so if Drucker said that 50, 60 years ago, then I think we can go with a, a new CSR, which is 
we have a customer social responsibility to treat them fairly, to have an engaged workforce in which to enact that kind of new CSR. So it's another little tidbit that I lost the argument, but I'm going to continue fighting the fight. <laughs> yes, fight the good fight, right, Dan? So, yeah. Dan, before we move on to another topic, what's your view right now about, and this is a very broad question, about where we're at was, let's call it customer social responsibility. Are, are organizations getting better? Are they staying the same? I mean, we struggle with customer experience where we find companies want to be leaders in customer experience, but don't do a whole lot about it in terms of their objectives and goals and, and um you know, financial investments. What are your thoughts on where we're at, broadly speaking? Well, I think I was, uh, in a good way, indoctrinated to how one, as a as a company ethos, has to put the customer first. My um, my time at Telus, a, a big Canadian telecom, uh, taught me. It's so much about the notion of how to put and why to put the customer first. And I'll give you an example. Um, you know, it's a company of now, uh, and I'm still doing work with them, but now I think it's about 80,000 global employees. Um, you know, revenues are 16 billion plus, like it's, it's not small. Mm. But one of the things we did uh, as I was chief learning officer uh, back in 2009, 2010, was something we called closer to the customer or short form C to C. And closer to the customer was our acknowledgement that uh, directors and above, of which there were about six or 700 of them at the time, um, really had sort of uh, lost their way when it came to, to what a customer experience is. And if you're a telecom in our case, you have so many different touch points as a customer. You could be a business customer, you could be a mobile phone customer, you could be an internet customer, a television customer, whatever. You could be all of them. But what we recognized was that because they had you know, climbed the ladder and spent a lot of time in a head office or an office, that they weren't actually in the field. They didn't actually know what frontline team members were feeling or handling situations. And they didn't know what really a lot of the customer issues and opportunities were. So enter closer to the customer where we sent um, our directors and above out for a field trip twice a day. And that field trip was uh, upwards of the full day or sometimes half a day. And they had to spend that time with a, a, a frontline team member. So that could be the call center that could be sales, that could be technicians, you just, you name it. And what that ingrained in me, and I think arguably across the organization is that uh, an organization's uh, kind of, you know, customer social responsibility is actually for everyone to believe in the mission that without the customer, you don't exist. And if you're all not paddling in the canoe, so to say, together towards that kind of customer first ethos, then what good are you? So if, if frontline team members, you know, in the CX community are handling the phones, et cetera, or the chatbots and, and so on in the chat rooms, is, is that enough when executives don't know what's actually happening in there? They just tell them to keep doing it, but better, better faster, quicker, more. And, and again, vice versa. If the, um, you know, the frontline team member is immersed only in their, you know, their vertical or their line, let's say, 
and they're not exposed to other parts of the business or exposed to other parts of the customer cycle, then they're myopic in their own thinking that all they're there for is that one little screw and not the entire car or whatever metaphor you want. So to me, I, I truly fundamentally believe that if you, your ethos as an organization is quote customer first, you have to ingrain uh, it and its leadership practices, its culture and collaboration practices, uh, its purpose practices, all together integrated so that everyone is in that canoe together. I'm sitting here, Dan, thinking to myself, we spend so much time debating B2B, B2C, B2C to B, or B2C, and, and you just capsulize it in C2C, which kind of cuts through all of that and says, you got to be closer to the customer. Yeah, how you do exactly. That. It just, <laughs> we, we shift the debate to where it should be. Uh, rather than, than uh, where a lot of times it goes uh, in those situations. Well, here's, here's another uh, analogy for you, I suppose. And being a Canadian, I think it's on my passport that I have to share a hockey story every time I go <laughs> on air or do a keynote um, somewhere there. I'm sure it's page 26. Uh, if you recall, uh, probably and arguably, the, and for sure, the greatest hockey player ever, his name was Wayne Gretzky, Canadian. Uh, I'm not touting the Canadianism, but I, I want to bring up one of his quotes that his dad like taught him. And he basically said, you know, go to where the puck will be, not to where it is. And, and if you think about that, it's, it's sort of the, the rewiring of hockey. You know, instead of, you know, uh, bees to the hive to the honey and, and conglomerating right at the hive, what Walter Gretzky, Wayne's dad, instilled in him was you need to be going into the open spaces, the place where you think the puck will be, and then you can make a play from there. Well, what I'm arguing with kind of being closer to the customer is exactly that, Bob. It's not B2B or B2C. It's how have you re-engineered your culture at your organization so that every single team member regardless of where they are on the hierarchy, is crystal clear in what their role purpose is, whilst the organization has crystallized its purpose, it's not there just to make money, it's there to serve the customer through that good deeds model as we alluded to. And when you have that, then you have to start rewiring leaders because they're used to uh, leading in a much different, almost psychotic way. And so often we're good at training skills, but we don't do enough, I think, to train behaviors. And that's what you're talking about, right? Oh my gosh, you're my new best friend. You're my new best friend. <laughs> that's exactly it, Bob. I mean, I've been on and on and on and on about this, that I don't care about skill training. I mean, I do. I mean, I'm a chief learning officer. I shouldn't really say that out loud, right? <laughs> right. But what I care more about is behavior change. Because when you have behavior change, and you instill and implement a systemic behavior into a team, into an into individual, of course, across an organization, then it makes it a hell of a lot easier to do skills-based training and upskilling because you've got the behaviors of openness, of learning, of collaborating, of putting customer first. Those are behaviors. And so if the behaviors are learned, it's 
just so much easier then to learn a new system, a new technology, right? A, a new chatbot comes in. Like that stuff then becomes easier because you've got the behaviors of the you know, aforementioned that I alluded to. Definitely. It's, it's such a shift in mindset though. Listeners, you're um, listening to this podcast with Dan Ponifract and um, uh, talking about being close to the customer. And Dan, I'd like to, to shift gears a little, but not really, because I think it's very relevant and talk about your latest book, Lead Care Win. Um, and, and some of the concepts there that you talk about and, and share with your readers. And by the way, as an adjacency, I should mention that, Dan, you said you're Canadian, that you would be my first um, international guest. So I guess I can say our podcast is now internationally. There known. you go. So I appreciate you being that. But Dan, talk to us about your, your latest book. I promise not to say A or talk about donuts. Which is, <laughs> Wait a minute, though, you talk about... You talked about hockey, though. You got to exactly. add the rest. Exactly. It's the, it's the holy trinity, all three there. Right. Um, well, first of all, thank you. And Lead Care Win is actually a behavior book. So it's completely segues nicely to this line of thinking. So um, to backtrack, the first three books I wrote, one was about corporate culture, one was about purpose, and one was about how we think or how we're not thinking. And I kind of refer to them, Bob, as the three legs of the stool. And then I wanted to unite the stool to make sure that people could sit down. And that was a behavior book on leadership tactics. But, uh, you know, the book contains nine leadership behaviors. And the book is more like a field guide than it is a book. And because, you know, a, a good tip would be, or a highlight would be, um, I didn't even call the chapters chapters. They're lessons. And so, you know, lesson one, be relatable. Lesson two, play for meaning. Lesson nine, champion others. And it centers around the, my point, I guess that we've been alluding to today in this wonderful discourse, by the way, I'm having a blast with you, is, is that we're in the, um, we're in, not in the people business, Bob, we're in the relationship business. And whether you're leading yourself and all the relations that you have, whether you're a leader and leading a team and those relations, or you're an individual and or leader at the organization having a relationship with a customer. What are your leadership behaviors? Will you be a human? <laughs> Will you be a human being in your interaction, interaction sorry, with that customer? Uh, one of the lessons is called Dare to Share, lesson six. Are you daring yourself to share and be collaborative and open in the transference of knowledge or ideas or humor in that interaction with the customer? Uh, lesson eight is called commit to balance. So in your interactions with customers, are you having balanced conversations or are you examples? If you're a middle-aged white man, are your examples always about being a middle-aged white man? And again, you have to be open to change. And by the way, embrace change is lesson five. Uh, so these are the nine kind of habits and behaviors and leadership tactics that are applicable as for you as a human being in life, you know, interactions with your grandma or your neighbor, your pastor, 
but it's also, you know, inside the ecosystem of the organization when you're working with each other and obviously with customers and to a degree, arguably suppliers and partners and people, you know, that are not buying your wares. So these behaviors to me are just, um, God, it sounds awful and I'm going to be highfalutin here, but they're just common sense, uh, humanistic values that sometimes, whether it's, you know, the stress of running an organization and the need to make profit and revenue, or it's a pandemic, or there's a crisis of other sorts, we, we tend to, for whatever reason, as human beings lose sight, and particularly leaders, because they get their time gets encroached. And so this is a reminder playbook. There's a field guide to remind people that there is nothing more important than your relationship with someone else. And one of the um, uh, challenges that customer experience professionals have as they work within organizations is a very short tenure. Um, although this has not been scientifically determined, but it's generally thought that CX professionals last in their positions between 18 and 24 months. And there's a combination of factors there. One is sometimes they're thrown into a job because they're a good project manager or they brought in a lot of revenues on the sales side and, and the CEO or CMO says, that person's a high potential, go, go ahead and fix our customer experience. <laughs> and, and then the other side of that is that they just get tired of beating your head against the wall trying to get change within an organization. How does this book help CX professionals kind of overcome those two challenges. Some of the lessons you mentioned certainly relate, but but uh, sharing with you what, what CX professionals are facing every day. Yeah, well, I mean, that and I, I, I have so many CX leaders in my uh, net worth of my network. Uh, I look up to them highly because, you know, this is one of the the tougher jobs out there somewhat obviously. And I'm glad what you're doing is to provide a conduit of uh, learning and, and different experience for, for those to gain and glean from. So good on you, first of all, Bob. In, in, in essentially this field guide, Lead Care Win, you know, what, what I'm getting at with the nine behaviors is, is an internal kind of a self-assess audit. And, and when you're coming into the CX field and you're going into one of these almost reconnaissance missions of 18 to 24 months, you're a high performer already and you've been tapped on the shoulder to come fix or upgrade CX. Okay. Well, Bob, what do you do? Well, you know, what you're uh, in this kind of tiger team approach, if you will, if you've been kind of uh, supplanted into this, this realm and, and this opportunity, you really have to ask yourself a few questions. And that is, okay, what, what is what got me here going to get me there? And uh, everyone's got to be their own judge of that particular question. But I think what's needed more in the CX profession is a, is a lot of care and a lot of heart. And so if you're a high performer because you've nailed it on the revenue side, you've nailed it on the process reengineering side, you've nailed it on et cetera, et cetera, and you're coming into a CX environment where really what it comes down to, again, as I've alluded to, is the relationship, right? It's the it's processes, obviously, but it's how do you care more, better for those that are doing the work within the exchange of the customer? And more often than not, what I've found in my experience 
is that you know these 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 lessons these behaviors are all about that kind of heart so let me let me give an example so empathy uh, you hear about empathy a fair amount these days mainstream media etc but what what often is not um, teased out of the term empathy is the fact there's three types of empathy so imagine a CX you know uh, implant coming in and employing the three types of empathy the first being cognitive empathy now cognitive empathy is using your head to think how others are thinking if you use your head like your head to think how others are thinking you're thinking about their background you're thinking about where they came from you're thinking about how they're thinking the interaction is with the customer that's a thinking process question you're just basically trying to put yourselves in their head what are they thinking about right now the second empathy is emotional empathy. And that's, well, what are they feeling? And so there's not a lot of touchy-feely going on in organizations right now, I assure you. And I think you know more than most in the CX community, often it's not even on the list of things to consider. So, but if you are um, emotionally empathizing, what's, what's the team member feeling? What's the, what are they feeling when the customer's disappointed? Might we do something about that feeling? How do we get the customer to feel great about what we're doing? How do we get them to advocate? Huge word there, right? Advocacy for us and feel good about us and tweet about us you know, with a heart emoji. That's a totally different ballgame. And then the third type of empathy is called sympathetic empathy. And that's when you're using your hands, Bob. That's my metaphor here, right? Head, heart, hands. And when you're using your hands, you've, you've gleaned enough from the head and the heart to say, oh, it's my, it's, it's time, Bob, I got to do something about this. And so what I'm basically trying to get at within the book and that example of empathy is that there are, you know, um, uh, social psychology pieces out there for sure that I've tapped into that I'm, you know, almost reverse engineering and putting them into layman terms to say, no, what it comes down to are these kind of principles uh, of heart principles of care and how might we inculcate those behaviors as a CX director coming in to change things, but can we do it in a humane, humanistic way so that we are thinking about the employee and the customer with that type of heart? Dan, that, that makes complete sense. And I'm sure CX professionals that are listening can completely understand uh, the, uh, head, heart, hands approach because too often we, we might focus on, did we move our NPS or our customer SAT score two points or three points, uh, exactly. right? And, and yet, and now more and more, we're starting to look at, well, how is the customer feeling in that situation? Exactly. Not, you know, and that, not that they gave us a seven, well, what, what was the feeling that they had around that seven? Right. And are they advocating for us? Mm -hmm. So, you know, aligned to being closer to the customer, aligned to having a customer's first, you know, principle or philosophy is, of course, the likelihood to recommend. And likelihood to recommend is not about MPS and it's not about customer engagement. It's do they tell their friend at the baseball game that they had a great experience and they feel great about the interaction they have with the customer? or with the, with, with the organization, right? The, uh, the client or the, the company, I'm sorry. And when, when you're at the barbecue, when you're at the, the dance recital, 
Well, when you're at the mosque and, and you can, as you're walking out, say, you know what? Gosh, uh, you, you should try company X because, man, did they make me feel really good about, you know, incident Y. And when that happens, for all you CX leaders out there, that's when you win the game. That's the goal. Win over the hearts and minds of your customer and do it through behavior as you transform what your CX direction is. It's so interesting, Dan. We, we live uh, in Austin, Texas, and we live in a, a community that has a community Facebook page. And people will often post there and say, does anybody know a good plumber or a painter uh -huh. or a babysitter? And, and, and immediately people will, will post, uh, this person's great or that company's great. And they always add something like, they got here on time. I was in desperate shape. The, the plumbing was leaking or something. You know, they'll always give the situation and share the emotion they were having and how this company saved them. And of course, we're not talking about you know, $100 million cor corporations here. We're talking about small uh, you know, five to 10 employee businesses that are being advocated for on behalf of the community members that experience them. And that, to your point, is the ultimate, right? That they're advocating on our behalf when they're trying to get the, you know, a service across the community. Customer advocacy is only as good as your latest relationship interaction. So that, should be a, that should be a bumper sticker. That should be a bumper sticker. <laughs> Dan, this has been fantastic. Before I let you go, I, I had an observation on your LinkedIn profile that you listed a poet and you don't often see that on a LinkedIn profile. So uh -huh. share with our, our listeners about your poetic background, if you would, before we adjourn our session. Wow. Uh, well, um, I guess it starts when I was sort of seven or eight and I uh, was you know, writing songs as a kid thinking I was Michael Jackson um, or in the Jackson Five, perhaps. Uh, so, you know, the songs were really poetry and I didn't realize I was writing poetry as a eight and 10 year old and so on. And then, you know, eventually when I got into my late twenties uh, and started writing, I realized that I loved nonfiction writing about, you know, uh, organizations and people and what have you, but that there's a creativity side to writing poetry that unleashed um, another part of me. And whether I'm reflecting on a pandemic, uh, the passing of someone, uh, a child turning 16, you know, uh, uh, in, a, in a kayak and brushing up against an orca whale, like that, it just all kind of allows me, um, yeah, a, a creative stroke. Uh, most of it's probably crap, but it allows me to sort of write and think differently. <laughs> Uh, that's great. That's a great uh, image that you have there in terms of your poetry. Uh, Dan, if uh, our listeners want to learn more, obviously they can buy your book, uh, LinkedIn with you. Is that the best way to connect with you? Yeah, all of it. I mean, I'm a pretty open guy. I'm on any uh, platform I think that's out there. And if, you, if you're, you're curious, I mean, thanks a lot uh, for that. Leadcarewin.com takes it to the micro side of the book and you can see, see the nine behaviors and if they resonate with you. Well, this has been a fantastic session. Uh, listeners, I hope um, 
you spend some time with his book as well and learning from it as CX professionals. This has been another episode of All Things Considered CX. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with your network and stay tuned for future episodes of All Things Considered CX. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Considered CX. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Subscribe to our show, follow me on LinkedIn, and visit my website at InnovativeCX.com for more insights on creating better experiences. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show, and visit CXofM.org for more resources.